today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Tributes are pouring in for Nikki Lauda. Uh, died at age 70. Formula, uh, form, uh, former Formula One uh, great Eric Thomas is with us. Raceline Radio Network. You can hear, of course, every Sunday night on CHML. He is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Any uh, Anytime, Scooter. Again, it's uh, one of those... Unfortunate times in our sport where we uh, need to get together. No, nothing, uh, nothing calamitous on the racetrack, but certainly the loss of one of Formula One's great icons. Are you surprised here? Clearly, this is, uh, I guess, a result from past injury when he was in that horrific fire. Uh, is yeah. that related? Are you surprised here? How was his health? Well, you know, yeah. I mean, you, he was a three-time F1 champion, but it was that rotten crash at the German Grand Prix in 1976 at the Nürburgring where his Ferrari caught fire and if you, you can imagine that now with the race cars they have a, a specific fuel cell a singular tank if you will that contains the racing gasoline that propels the automobile back in those days F1 cars and Formula One cars had fuel in tanks not only behind the driver but on either side of the driver's cockpit that's where that. yeah that's where the terminology he's running on full tanks comes into play they don't have full tanks anymore but they still put an s on the end of it and it is that era where Nicky Lauda was in that crash it was funny because he was really on a crusade that year to have FIA and the Formula One organization really start looking at safety aspects. And he warned the people at the Nürburgring in Germany that there weren't enough, there weren't enough uh, marshals around the racetrack and that their firefighting equipment was lacking terribly. And wouldn't you know it, two laps into that very race that he was questioning, he's in an accident, his car bursts into flames, he's badly burned, he inhales... Uh, the fumes from burning gasoline, which is extremely toxic. Now, he was able to get out of the car and stand on his own, but he suffered horrific burns, especially to his because his helmet was jarred off, which is another story altogether. His head and his face and his neck mm. were very, very badly burned. As a matter of fact, his right ear, was the, the, uh, the lobe on the outside, yeah. was completely burned away to the flush of his head, mm-hmm. and he inhaled all that all the fumes from the racing gasoline, which seared his lungs and damaged his lungs. And if you see the movie Rush, put together by Ronnie Howard, it was about the rivalry between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda. Uh, he wanted to get back as soon as he could, so he had multiple scopes done on his lungs. And the guy just wanted to get back right away, and he only missed two races hmm. before he got back in a race car. But it was from those burns that he suffered the scarring, but it also affected his lungs. Now, he underwent a lung transplant yeah. not that long ago, hmm. you know, and, and we thought that was going to you know, elongate his life, but as it turns out, obviously there were some, uh, some complications involved in that, and he did not, you know, he survived the lung transplant. He was walking around, but, you know, maybe it weakened some other organs. I don't exactly know. We may never know, but he's gone at the age of 70. In terms of racing, the guy really redefined the word bravery because this guy was phenomenal. He had constructive, reconstructive surgery on his face scooter, mm-hmm. but he, he could have had a lot more. But he said, all you need to do is make my eyelids work, and I'm happy with that. That's why when you saw him, yeah. he was always wearing a ball cap or some kind of a hat to cover up the scarring on his head and on his face. So, But, but in terms of his determination and what a driver he was, and I'll just, I know it's a long run-on answer here, but... 
one of his famous quotes was, and this this is one of the great things about Mickey, was the fact that he was so incredibly honest. When you asked him a question, he told you exactly what he thought, whether it damaged anybody or made anybody feel bad. He said, why am I so successful as a Formula One driver? And here's his quote, because I have a great ass. I can feel every. I can feel everything that the car does. I can feel every squirm, every bump, every every little nuance that the car does. I can feel it in my posterior, and I have a great ass, and that's why I'm a great race car driver. Mm. And that's Nikki, and that's Nikki to a T. And they don't make him like Nikki Lauda anymore, and that's why he's so sorely missed already. Uh, and and as you said, you know, most drivers will say they feel like they are an extension of the car, and that's exactly what he's talking about. Talk that's about exactly this. Exactly right. I, I didn't realize that his helmet was removed in this crash. Well, yeah, they they uh, the on the accounts that I've read, uh, and I don't remember it from from Ronnie Howard's movie Rush, but uh, in some of the accounts that I read, that his helmet was jarred off of his head. Now, whether that means it came off completely, mm. I don't know. But what it allowed, obviously, is the gasoline flames yeah. to get at the flesh at his head and his face mm. and his neck, which is not a pleasant thing. I mean, I know anybody out there listening to this has ever had, you know, even a minor burn, how much that hurts and mm. how much and uncomfortable and damaging that can be. Well, imagine, you know, second, third degree burns on your face and on your neck and on your head. It's not a, a very pleasant thing. But as it turns out, he only missed two Grands Prix, and he lost the championship that year by one point to his rival, wow. James Hunt. You know, so an incredible story, and, and, and universally loved by everybody. He, he, was, uh, he was a special advisor to the Mercedes team in F1 uh, when, he, when he leaves this earth at the, uh, in his 70th year. But, you know, we, we know all about, you know, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas and their domination in Formula One right now. And a lot of that, a lot of that is, is attributed to Nicky Lauda's know-how. The other thing, too, that many people may not know, Scott, is the fact that he, he, had an, uh, he was a flyer, and he had an aviation yeah, company yeah. And, and an airplane company, and he did tremendous things spending his own money to probe crashes of airliners and cargo planes to find out why they happen, and a lot of the, a lot of the safety features in terms of uh, black box technology, uh, takeoff and landing, and some of the things that we now take for granted on airplanes mm. are the result of Nicky Lauda doing some of his own research with his own company. So the guy was uh, a tremendous human being and was universally loved by just about everybody. Talk about his accomplishments. Where does he rank among the greats? Well, he certainly has to be remembered. I mean, you don't win three championships in F1 because you're just sort of mediocre. Yeah. I mean, he was, and, and, and something else, too, along with... And with various like, teams, right. Well, well, sure. I mean, yeah, with, with a couple of teams, uh, uh, with McLaren at the end, and I, I'm, I'm uh, trying to Ferrari ahead of that, a couple with Ferrari, and then one later on with McLaren. Uh, but, you know, in, in terms of him racing in an era, and of course, Mario Andretti, you know, who's on our show a lot and a good friend of ours, went through that era in the 1970s where yeah. we were losing guys in F1, and it was a tremendously yeah. dangerous series, you know, back then. This was before, you know, Sid, the, the late, who we just lost him a little while ago, too, you know, Sid Watkins, you know, coming up with a, with a, a, a bona fide safety team where they had medical staff on site at all races. Back when Nicky raced, they didn't have any of that stuff, you know, yeah. and it was a very, very dangerous time, and it, you, we were losing one or two guys a season yeah. back in that era. I, I'm not exaggerating at all, and he survived that, 
and won three championships, and he kept his hand in the business with his know-how, and he was a phenomenal ambassador, not only for the sport uh, in general, but certainly for Formula One. Uh, you talked about uh, the, the gas tank arrangement and such. Uh, yeah. Talk talk about comparing the cars of that era to what we have now. Uh, even well, with yeah. sort of the halo that's over the uh, the yeah. driver's compartment, uh, the cars are a lot different now. Well, they are. They're a lot safer. And I remember talking to Jackie Stewart, Sir Jackie Stewart, the champion that he was, the icon in, in Formula One that, that Sir Jackie was. You know, and he said to me, if I, if I can, can, I can bore you with a lousy imitation, he said, drivers now are surviving crashes that I most certainly would not have survived. Yeah. And he's right, yeah. because the cars have advanced so much in terms of they're made of carbon fiber, not just made of, of sheet steel, where the tub, the cockpit is extremely strong. Now, you know, and then with, with the advent of the padding around where the driver is, the advent of the Hans device, the head and neck, uh, system support, you know, and and then and then this halo around the the cockpit that is designed to you know stop debris from flying into the cockpit. And of course, it was a piece of suspension that killed Ayrton Senna, you know, another great yeah. icon in Formula One. So the cars now compared to the automobiles that Nicky uh, Lauda and Mario Andretti and and, and Carlos Rudiman and the list goes on of drivers from that 1970s era are infinitely safer now than they ever were back then. And it's not just the cars, too, but it's the safety teams, the way they get to drivers, the, the medical attention that these guys get now is head, hands, and feet times 12 over what it was back in that era. Why is this series still so successful? Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, motorheads like me watch racing, and, and perhaps it's not our favorite because it's it's not wheel-to-wheel the way it is with fenders yeah. and such or sports cars. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's the technology. It's it's the, the car itself. It's how yeah. how advanced this piece of, of machinery is. Is that what keeps this in the forefront, is that it yeah. is total yeah. state-of-the-art? There's no kits yeah. here? Well, exactly, and you've kind of answered the question a little bit yourself, Scooter, is the fact that the one thing that keeps it, keeps it vital, keeps it flowing, is the fact that it has a global footprint. It is literally race and run around the world. You know, North America, South America, in Europe, in the Middle East, and the Far East. Heck, they're going to add a race in Vietnam uh, in 2020. They're going to add... Uh, they're going to add the Dutch Grand Prix back to the schedule after being off the schedule for 35 years at Zandvoort. So they're going to add a race there. It's the top of technology. The racing may not be the best you've ever seen. Of course, it's notoriously processional, although the last little while it's been a little bit better. But it's because the teams are so big and the footprint, the global appeal that it has, is the big selling point for Formula One that you don't get with NASCAR, that you don't get with IndyCar, that you don't get with you know with dirt track racing or even drag racing for that for that standpoint. So it's 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 the fact that it's so globally recognized and globally popular, and that's what keeps it going. And as you say, the technology is such. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we see in our passenger cars is developed for race cars. I mean, I always tell the story. That, that Formula One got it to the point where they were actually racing full-blown cars around the racetrack with no drivers in them. They were doing it by computer servos. Mm. Computers were driving the cars, but you know, if, it, if, it's, if it's groundbreaking, outer space-style technology, you can bet that Formula One is on the forefront of it to the point where they've actually started to dumb it down a little bit. They used to have launch control and traction control and all kinds of things. They've taken a lot of that away to give the driver the, the control of the car again 
and that's a good thing. But it, it's global popularity is the one is the one engine, if you want to be uh, cute about it, that keeps this series going and keeps it vital. Uh, car racing, it's all about lasting uh, the duration of the of the race and going as fast as you possibly can. Since the invention of the automobile, that's what racing has all been about you use mm-hmm. the phrase dumbing it down uh we've seen indycar we've seen nascar them slow them down because they've mm-hmm. just gotten too fast are we slowing these cars down where, where at what point uh, do you at what point do we have to do the same here well we're not you're not seeing an appreciable drop in speed but they've, they've come down from you know the turbocharged v8 to the turbocharged v6 so there's not as much power but understand that top teams like Mercedes and Ferrari have staffs, you know, of boffins, the British slang term for scientists and engineers who stay back at the factory with these teams, Scooter, and they do nothing but try and improve the performance of the car to get another tenth, another hundredth of a mile an hour out of these cars to try, as you say, you're right, to beat the other guy to the finish line. And whether they do it with engines, it's not just the horsepower. They can do it with suspension. They can do it with aero, with wings, you know, with, with a track, with um, uh, DRS or energy recovery systems, you know, things where they, they can use deceleration energy from the car to charge batteries. I mean, they're hybrids. I mean, we're all starting on the, on the roads and the passenger cars to go to hybrid cars, right, and to go to fully electrical cars. Mm. Well, Formula One cars are fully hybrid. Mm. I mean, they, they have a gasoline engine, but like my wife's uh, hybrid on the road, you either run it off batteries, and when the batteries get low, it kicks back over to the gasoline engine. Mm. I mean, the Formula One thing isn't exactly like that, but they use energies in other parts of the car, yeah. even in deceleration, to charge batteries. So yeah. you're talking about you know, uh, research and development for passenger cars being hybrids. A lot of that stuff comes from Formula One. What about the number of cars in the field? There's, I think there's 20 24. now. Is it 20? 24. 24. Does, does 24. that increase? Does that go up or go down depending on the, mm. the number of teams? There's obviously a tremendous expense. Yeah. How do they decide that? They, well, they've talked about this, and there have been some debates and arguments about whether they need to increase the size of the field, but it seems that Formula One, and even with the new owners, Liberty uh, Media, that now owns Formula One, and, of course, Bernie Ecclestone, uh, for, for better, doesn't have much to do with F1 anymore. They've debated whether or not they should enlarge the fields, enlarge in the fields, but it seems to be 12 teams, two cars each, and, and, and they seem to be pretty happy with that. As a matter of fact, I don't think anybody complains about the number of cars on a, on a Formula One track. And also, too, I mean, uh, they, they can expand it with the new places, but they go to places like Monaco and Silverstone. They've only got room in the pits for 24 cars. Yeah. So they, had to, you know, they can easily expand that, I suppose, but they seem to be pretty happy with that car count has never been a problem, unlike, you know, you go to some of your local speedways around where we are, uh, they, yeah. you know, they may be short of cars. They don't seem to be have that problem in, in F1, and they've talked about it, but I don't think you're going to see any uh, larger fields in F1 uh, really anytime soon. That's just me uh, beaking off about the NASCAR All-Star race, uh, race which I just oh, think yeah. is a joke. And, you know, I, you know my f- feeling is. on all of this. I think they should put all three divisions out there, uh, have like 60, <laughs> 70, 80 cars, and it's like an old-fashioned Enduro, man. It'd be great. Sure. It'd be like, it'd be like the 24 hours of Le Mans with no rules, right? <laughs> That's, it. That's it. All right, who's on the show this week? Well, we're going to uh, talk to Norris McDonald, who is uh, who is going to be uh, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway for the 103rd running of the yes. biggest race in the business, the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. 
Canada's James Hinchcliffe is in the field. He's on the last row. We just, we're, as a matter of fact, we're in the car just coming back from talking to Hinch. We're also going to meet a guy. You're talking about F1. There's a kid out of Montreal uh, in F2 right now whose name is Nicholas Latifi, and he has already uh, won three races out of the four uh, stops they've had so far, and he leads F2 points. F2 is a major development rung on the Formula One ladder. As a matter of fact, he's a test driver for Williams right now. I've got a two-part interview with him. You're going to hear part one on the show on uh, Sunday night, along with Norris McDonald uh, uh, from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, of course, we'll wrap up the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indy 500 on Raceline here on CHML, 8 o'clock on Sunday night. Eric Thomas, Raceline Radio. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. We got to do a run to uh, Ransom. I know, I know, I saw, I know, I saw that note. We have to do that for sure. Well, they've had some rain out problems, but they'll get going again. And we got some cold Yinglings and some wings waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving it. Thank you, Eric. All right, take care, Scoot. All right, you too. The Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.